Santa Claus is coming to town and with that he is bringing annual close downs. Are you a business that generally closes down during the holiday season? Annual close down periods seem relatively easy, right? But what if I told you that it's not just about giving your employees notice and sending them on their merry way? With Christmas and New Year's just around the corner, if you're closing down, then stick around because there are a lot of employers getting close downs wrong and I have scoured all the conflicting information so you don't have to. everyone, welcome back to Lawlands. My name is Sanam and thank you so much for tuning in today. Before we get into it, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone out there that's listening. I really appreciate you coming on this journey with me and I hope this information is quite useful for you. Please feel free to reach out um, via email. I would love to answer some of the questions that you have on the podcast and this is one way for you to find out what the tips and tricks are for a particular question. And please make sure that you subscribe, you follow And let people know if you find this valuable, please share the word. I'm here to try to help everyone navigate employment law and to really harness employment relations in their workplace. So if you know any colleagues, HR professionals, employers that might like to tune in, then have them listen to the podcast episodes and they'll always be there. So hopefully they'll find them useful. Now we'll get straight into it. Annual close downs. I found a lot of conflicting information out there. It was really hard to get the answer that I was looking for. The legislation is really confusing and there's just so much out there. And I was thinking, if I'm finding it this hard, how is everyone else coping? And are they just relying on their payroll softwares to do this and figure it all out for them? It's quite alarming. Whenever I do a topic and I research into a topic, of course, I know the the laws around it, but it's always a refresher and an eye opener to really delve into a topic. And this one was one of those situations. I was actually really shocked. Before we get into it, you know what time it is. It's Laughs with Lawlands, where I give you a dry joke in every podcast. There is a really cute and new trend in our office. Everyone is naming their food. I even saw it today while I was eating a sandwich named Kevin. (laughs) Uh, Look, Annual close downs mean that you don't need to worry about somebody eating your sandwich, Kevin. See, isn't it quite a benefit? But I I mean, I remember being in the office and this being a genuine issue. When I used to work in an office environment, people would always be taking each other's food. Oh, and the worst thing, please, please, I hope people have experienced this as well. And I'm sure you have. The worst thing is people leaving their food in the fridge and it going completely off and rotten. But You don't have to worry about that when you're going through an annual close down. And please, if you've left your food in the fridge before you go through the close down, please clear out your food. It's really gross for for people to clean it (laughs) when we come back after a three week shutdown. Look, with close downs, like I said, it's conflicting and it's confusing. But the best place to start is looking at the legislation. So the Holidays Act is what governs this whole area. This is what dictates what a close down is, how it should be used, what the process is, what the pay is like. And Sections 29 to 35, now we're getting into a a bit of detail, but sections 29 to 35 in the Holidays Act is what really sets this all out. And there are two requirements to fulfill the definition under the legislation. So the first one is that employers' operations need to close. So that's the first requirement or one or more employees discontinue work. The second requirement is that an employee needs to take all or some of their annual holidays. Those are the two requirements. And what can happen 
when you look at employers' operations closing is that you can choose to close part of your business as well. Yes, that's right. You can choose to close part of your business and it can be any time of the year that you do a close down. So don't think that just because Christmas and New Year are approaching that that's when you have to do it. Generally, a lot of people customarily do it then because business is slow. A lot of other places are closing down. But I know lots of employers that have done it at random times in the year because maybe sales is a little bit slow during that time or production is a little bit slow. When it comes to the frequency of annual close downs, you can have only one close down in every 12 month period. If you wanted to do more close downs, this would come up quite often when I was working in the hospo industry. It would be very, very common for people to want multiple close downs because there are multiple times in the year when business becomes slow. Unfortunately, with annual close downs, the legislation is very clear and it only allows you to have one, which can be defined as an annual close down. You have other options as well where you can do different types of quote unquote close downs. But they're different. They're not really classified as a close down and you need to seek agreement with the employee and you can't direct an employee to take annual leave as part of a close down during that time. That's usually where an employer will, you know, hang their hat and and basically say that, look, it's an annual close down. So you need to take your annual leave. I'm directing you to do that. And that's one of the, the requirements as well to fulfill the definition. If it isn't that and you're doing multiple shutdowns, then it isn't really an annual close down. Only one of them will be. And that can only be done in that 12 month period. You can have different close downs for different areas of the business. So this is very clearly defined in the act. And I really want employers to to listen up to this because it is very critical to know that you can close down your sales staff, maybe in Christmas time, and then maybe production becomes slow in March. And then you close down your production side of the business while the rest of it stays open. So you can have different close downs for separate areas of the business. And that's perfectly fine. There are no guidelines for the time frame of the close down or the length of the close down. The tip I would give here, we have an underpinning requirement of good faith in everything that we need to do in New Zealand employers and employees. The whole purpose and the whole meaning behind taking annual leave and these holidays is because you're trying to provide rest and allow for recreation and all of that for your employees. So you also want to balance all of that out and think, if I did make my employees take a bunch of their annual leave, let's say, I don't know, six weeks worth of leave plus unpaid leave, is that actually fair and reasonable? Am am I acting in good faith? So that's where that good faith comes into place. And it's really important to make sure that the timeframes are something that would still allow an employee to rest and relax maybe through some other time during the year if they want to go to the Bahamas. Oh man, I would love to be in the Bahamas. I don't really have the body for that yet. So <laughs> maybe next year is the, is the year for me. There is one area that I wanted to discuss and it's a little bit of a tangent, but I promise it's for the same topic. It It is more about looking at what's in your employment agreements and your policies. A lot of times, We think, look, the legislation is very clear. This is what it says. So this is what I can do. And that's absolutely right. But like I said, good faith requirements, important to be transparent, be communicative and be upfront with your employees. It's more of a benefit to make sure that you have correct policies in place and that your employment agreement may have some sort of guideline. I know a lot of employers will have an annual shutdown 
clause in there. It's not to say that definitively we'll shut down this time to this time, but there is usually a clause in there that might say something along the lines of employees will take annual leave if the business has a customary close down. The business may do this during this particular time. And it also dictates and, and sets out what the employees will be paid if they need to be consulted with to get 8% of their gross earnings or if they take their annual leave. So all of that information. But also, the reason why I say please check your employment agreements and policies is because I've noticed time and time again that a lot of employers have historic policies and documents. And that's just because you set and forget, right? You, you don't really go back and, and review it unless you have a million people behind you in this raft of resources. But as an employer of a small to medium enterprise, you don't have that benefit and that luxury a lot of times. So with that said, I would say just go back and double check. I've noticed a lot of older agreements will have something in there that might be a bit longer. Maybe they provide you with more notice or maybe there's certain guidelines. You want to make sure that you're following that. So please go back and have a look at that. Now, the process for close downs is really interesting. You've got something very simple. And that's why I said it may seem like it's just about giving an employee notice and then that's it. Because all you need to do is just make sure that you followed the rules and you've directed an employee to take their annual leave. You just need to provide them with 14 days notice. And there's no def definition in the act of what notice actually is, but put it in writing. Everything in New Zealand, unless it's something where you're maybe bad mouthing an employee or vice versa, don't put that in writing. <laughs> but everything else, put it in writing. And especially when it comes to notice, because you need to show that you have provided notice. I have seen certain situations where the employee said, no, you, you never told me, you never directed me. You can't do that, but you can, you're well within your right. So make sure that you put it in writing. With you putting it in writing, you need to make it very clear that some people, they'll be taking their annual leave or they'll discontinue work for that time because they're not going to be taking their annual leave. So it can vary now. We're going to get into the really important part. And this is where I spun around in circles. And if I tell you it was circles, it took me hours to figure out why I was not grasping this. And it is solely because there is so much conflicting information out there and you need to know what the actual information is. And the problem is that so many people are paying their employees incorrectly. Isn't that crazy? I know so many employers right now <laughs> that are not doing the right thing. And you know what the worst and most alarming thing is? I saw so many payroll providers that do those blogs. I saw so many of them that were incorrect. So please listen up because this is the most important and most critical. I'm going to break this into different categories, but the first one and the easiest one, and please know that I am talking about Paying employees when it comes to your permanent employees or the, the employees that are full-time, part-time, but they are permanent. So they have their set hours. They're not casual. They are employees that you know are going to be coming in time and time again. And if your casuals are coming in time and time again, then that's a bit of a problem. But we'll talk about that in another episode. <laughs> With employees who are entitled to leave. So these are people, just to differentiate between the two, entitled to leave. Basically, the way that I say it is that leave is in your pocket. You've worked there for 12 months. As soon as you work there for 12 months, boom, you get leave. That's yours. You're entitled to it. It's all yours. You get to walk away with it. Accrued leave is very different. Accrued leave is like taking little bites of a cake. 
Let's say you've got a beautiful chocolate mud cake and you're just taking little bites out of it. You hit that 12 month period and then you get that gorgeous mud cake. So that's the difference between the two. Now, as this unravels and as this unfolds, it'll start making a little bit more sense why I've gotten into the cake story. Maybe I'm just a little bit hungry, to be honest. With employees who are entitled to leave, so they have already passed their 12 months, they need to stop work and take as much of their annual holidays as possible because you will be directing them under the legislation to take their annual holidays. If they refuse, at the end of the day, you're directing them to take their annual leave. So they will use all of their annual holidays that they have to cover that time. But what happens if their leave balance isn't that high, right? Because you have some employees that might have gone to, like I said, the Bahamas. And now you're looking at, okay, we're shutting down for three weeks, but you only actually have a week and a half of leave left. Then you need to look at whether the employee wants to take leave without pay and or, and that's very critical, you can decide with the employee, and it's, it's your choice at the end of the day as an employer, if you want to provide them annual leave in advance. The tricky part with annual leave in advance is the fact that you are advancing them this leave. Now, this will be saying that when you reach your next 12-month period and you're owed that four weeks, I will be chipping away and taking that time out of that entitled period that you have. You have a cake there. You've essentially finished your cake, but there's a brand new cake that's coming up next year and there's going to be little slices that we're going to take out of there because once you become entitled, those are going to be mine. So you might not actually have the full four weeks because you've used it over here. The problem with that is that you're advancing something to someone. Employees leave, people move on to a different job. And while you can deduct, it is still an advance of leave. So keep that in mind because they might not come back. And there's been a lot of scenarios where that happens or the employee leaves too early. And we'll get into the details about what can happen there. See, it's all fine and well when you're dealing with a permanent employee that is entitled to annual leave and you just need to look at leave without pay. And that just seems very simple. But, but <laughs> what happens when you have an employee who is not actually entitled to leave yet? What if you have somebody that hasn't completed 12 months of service or employment with you? And what happens if maybe said employee that's actually worked there for 12 months has decided to take more than one week of unpaid leave? Because when you do that, then that shifts your anniversary date, which means that technically you're not in that entitlement period yet where you've gotten that four weeks. There's a few options. The first one is that you pay 8% of their gross earnings since the commencement of their employment. In the first scenario, you haven't completed 12 months of service. So that means that we'll be paying you 8% of your gross earnings since you started employment. So since the commencement date of your employment. The other option is, as an or, is that you pay 8% of their gross earnings since their last anniversary date. And that would apply to that person that's taken that one week of unpaid leave and then the anniversary, or more than a week of unpaid leave, and that anniversary date has shifted. Now, for that same person that's taken that more than one week of unpaid leave, you can always go back and have a look at how much they've actually taken throughout the year and also subtract any amount that's already been paid to them as 8% pay. Maybe they might have taken leave in advance, they call it, throughout the year. So you would need to look at all of that and run that through the payroll. Now, for both scenarios, the first one being that 
they haven't worked for 12 months. The second scenario being that they have taken more than one week of unpaid leave. For both scenarios, the anniversary date gets moved. The anniversary date moves out to the day that the close down starts. So the day that the close down period or the shutdown starts is the day that their anniversary date now kicks into effect. So those are the situations for people who are not entitled to leave. Now it gets interesting because there is an and to this equation we have here. You've done all of your 8% working all of that out, but there is a very critical and an additional to that 8% that you're looking at. The first component that a lot of people do not consider is that employees who are not entitled yet can take annual leave in advance. This is where an employer can agree with an employee to provide them annual leave in advance. Now, I gave you all those warnings about it, and I'll talk about the warnings, what can go wrong with this. But the act says that in relation to annual holidays taken by an employee before the entitlement to the holiday has come up, it's about giving the leave entitlement in advance of the 12-month mark. So giving that, that leave ahead of time. This is basically setting up the employee so that they are getting next year's entitled leave. So that entire cake or whatever part of that cake or that portion, they are getting that in advance and they are getting that this year instead of next year. Something that employers do is try to work out and agree with the employee that, look, I will give you annual leave in advance rather than paying out the 8% of the gross earnings but I will take into a few factors. So sometimes what employers will do is they will look at the accrued leave balance that's there as a basis for deciding. You might have a look at whether to agree uh, to annual leave in advance by seeing how many weeks or days annual leave the employee can take based on the payroll information. Why I say that this is critical and why this is an and is because of a case that came up a few years ago. I say few, three years ago where the judgment came out, but the case is actually from 2017. It's called Metropolitan Glass and Glazing Limited, and it was with the Labor Inspectorate. So MBIE sent their Labor Inspectorates down, and they opened up the books and had a look at what was happening in this particular business. And the case focuses on a few areas. We're looking at bonus schemes, and it discusses close-downs. But our main focus, obviously, is close-downs here. This all stemmed, like I said, from a labor inspectorate audit that was conducted. And the labor inspector said that the end of year close downs in this case did not comply with the legislation. And I'll tell you why, because it's a mistake I think a lot of people are still making. The case, I just want to caveat this, is went to appeal, but it went to appeal for the discretionary bonuses and nothing to do with the close downs was tested and on appeal. So the closed downs precedent that still exists, that still stands. And similar to what many employers are doing, what Metropolitan Glass did in this particular case is that if an employee didn't have entitled annual holidays, so they didn't meet that 12-month threshold to, to cover the period of the close down, then the employee would be able to take the annual holidays in advance. What that meant is that they would be able to take any accrued leave that they had. That is where they got this wrong because they decided to give these employees 
annual leave in advance and give them the 8% to take throughout the close down. Otherwise, the affected employees would be on unpaid leave for the remainder of the close down. Any leave that they had, the 8% that they accrued or that they had in advance, they would take that and then the remainder of it would be unpaid leave. There were three main things that the court looked at in relation to the legislation. So the employees who at the commencement of the close down period that are not entitled to holidays must be paid 8% of their gross earnings. They must. And that must was very critical. Their service is then treated as commencing on the date of the close down starting. So like I said to you before, that 8% gets paid out and their anniversary date essentially shifts to the first day of the close down. Also, the third criteria was that to the extent the employer and employee agree, annual leave can be taken in advance. So the court has clarified here that the general understanding has been incorrect. Like I said, a lot of employers would say to their employees, look, close down's coming up, you're not entitled to leave, but go ahead and take your accrued leave. But any agreement between the parties to treat some or all of the close down period as annual leave in advance or unpaid leave can only be in addition to the 8%. What does that mean? That means that you cannot just say to your employees, you've accrued about 200 hours of leave because you've accrued 200 hours of leave. You can take it and you can spread it out and the rest of it will be unpaid. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. There has to be an agreement between both parties to treat, they can treat some of it as um, unpaid leave or as annual leave in advance, which is, which is quite normal. I believe unpaid leave is always a safer situation, but you as an employer have the discretion, but that is in addition. It is in addition to the paying out of 8%. So keep that in mind because I think a lot of people are doing this wrong. I know certain employers that are still doing this wrong and big companies that are doing this wrong as well. When we have these cases, they set up the definitions and clarify the, the legislation. So until we get another case, this is unfortunately how it is. My key takeaway from this case, this Metropolitan Glass case, would be a labor inspectorate audits happen all the time, not because somebody's a whistleblower or not because somebody has said something. But aside from that, it is random audits that happen all the time. Now, I don't, I didn't look at the nitty gritty of Metropolitan Glass and see if somebody had complained. But what I can say to you is that it's so tricky when you've got a labor inspectorate coming in. I've, I've never had an issue with any of them, but it, it is very intimidating as an employer. And there's so many things that you've got to get right from, you know, wages and paying salaries correctly, holiday pay. This is one thing that now that you've listened to this, you don't want to get it wrong. And it's not an ideal situation, but the 8% always has to happen for people that are not entitled. And then you look at unpaid leave or leave in advance. So keep that in mind. Before we finish this off, I want to get into some extra tips that I'd like to say on top of all of this. And these were just things that I noticed and picked up that a lot of people might not have been talking about. And then I thought, oh, if I was an employer or even a HR professional, I would really like to know this. The first one, I think a lot of people will know this, but the first one is public holidays. You need to make sure that if the public holiday is an otherwise working day, that you are paying the employee for that particular day. Make sure that the employee is fully aware that they are getting the public holiday. It's in their pay slip, all of that good stuff. 
but make sure that you're not just t- making them take annual leave on that day because if it's an otherwise working day, they are entitled to that public holiday. Follow the podcast because I will be getting into public holidays since public holidays are in their masses fast approaching and I will make sure that I cover that off in a, in a separate podcast episode. But for now, just keep that in mind. Make sure that you're not treating all the days as annual leave if it isn't otherwise working day for that employee. Something that comes up a lot, what if my employee suffers a bereavement or they become sick during this time? Should I give them sick leave? It is at the employer's discretion to a certain extent. There's always that good faith requirement. People are going to say to you, you can choose as an employer, but you don't want to get caught up. And I know that that can be a conservative approach sometimes, but I would say that it's really important to make sure that you've looked at the scenario, you've looked at the situation. Maybe you have policies in place where you request for a a medical certificate. And even though you haven't done so in the past, but you just have to set that precedent and keep in mind that if you're requesting one and the employee is not absent or, you know, sick for, for three days or more, then as an employer, you will need to foot the bill for that medical certificate. But hey, the way that I always look at it and what I say to every employer that I talk to, and they probably roll their eyes every time I say it, how many people during a day off when they're chucking a sickie or it's the holiday season and they're lying about being sick. How many people are actually going to go and sit in a doctor's office, probably pay double the amount that they would because it, is, it does get pricey during the holiday season? Um, how many people would do that? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I would hate to do it. But that's something that I always say is if you want to ask for proof, a lot of times people, they don't want to go to a doctor's office if they're not genuinely sick. But generally, if you feel like the employee is actually sick, give them the sick leave. Now, it's more of a a common sense thing, but I thought I'd throw it in there is tailor your communications. Don't just do a blanket letter. I, I remember dealing with a lot of scenarios where an employer will send the same letter to everyone, but the information in that letter will not apply. Sometimes send all is not the best option. And you really need to tailor, especially in this case where some employees will be taking unpaid leave. Some of them will be taking their 8% and unpaid leave. Some of them will be taking their annual leave and unpaid leave. The scenarios vary. That's not to say that you can't list out certain options, give them the direction first, and then have a list of all of the employees that fall outside of that annual leave bracket that you need to specifically speak to. That's fine. But just make sure you really tailor your communications because that's where I see a lot of issues that come up in employment law is the tailoring of the communications. If you do provide annual leave in advance, then I just want to give this warning again. Unpaid leave is an absolute option. And that is something that you may just suggest to the employee and say, look, you're not entitled yet to to full amount of annual leave. So we'll pay you the 8%. But whatever's remaining, I'll have to give you unpaid leave for that time. That is, that is your well within your right to do that. You do not need to give them annual leave in advance. I just don't want any employer to be tripped up about giving somebody annual leave in advance. Even though you can deduct under the legislation, under the Holidays Act, the concern that I have there is what if the amount that's owing, that's been taken, is not enough to cover their last final pay? Because sometimes that happens. They don't have any annual leave, which usually makes up the bulk of somebody's final pay. They don't have any of that. And now this employee is bouncing out and they're leaving. If you want to have 
the ability to give annual leave in advance and some employers love that option. It's great for morale for employees and it will have an employee coming back, hopefully. If that is the case, then make sure you have something in writing in your contracts around deducting for annual leave in advance and also be careful with giving the employee annual leave in advance if it's conflicting with any policies or anything like that. So always go back and check your documents and check your policies. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. I really hope that was beneficial. I will leave a lot of information in the description in terms of where you can go to find more information and at least find the the critical bits of information that you need. Because like I said, everything was so conflicting, but I do believe that the Employment NZ website really sets it out very clearly. And the, the case that I'll link as well with the Metropolitan Glass case will also set out some information. But to be honest, cases, legislation, they are so boring to read. <laughs> but sometimes you just got to grin and bear it. But hopefully these uh, websites that I'll be sending through will be a good summary of, of the cases and the other information. I hope you have a lovely day wherever you are. And please, like I said, follow, share and send in your questions to asklawlands at gmail.com. I absolutely want to discuss things that you are finding really pressing and follow me on LinkedIn. Check me out. Uh, check out the Lawlands page on LinkedIn. I always post updates there as well. And yeah, thank you for being on this journey with me. Mm-hmm.